Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. It's a dangerous ground. It's a hard thing for pastors. You may not have seen this. You may think like you have this notion of pastors as these high and pious people that are like, they're just preaching the gospel everywhere they go. It's not that easy for, for anybody. Because pastors are just normal people. And it's easy to say it here. But what about when you're surrounded by people who don't agree with you? And they ask you, are you, are you a Christ follower? Are you a Christian? You know, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know. Like, no, it's a yes or no question. Imagine someone you don't know coming up to you and asking if you're a Christ follower. What would your response be? It might seem easy to say yes, but it might prove difficult. Peter denied Jesus even after seeing him perform miracles with his own eyes because he knew that he would have died if he admitted to being a Christ follower. Today, Pastor James is going to encourage you to stand up for Jesus. It might be scary. It might feel like you're the odd one out, but Jesus is worth fighting for. Now, here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 14, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. priest is frustrated. Everybody, all the liars can't get their story straight. He's like, ah, I just had enough. Are you the Messiah? You're looking at him. I am. Oh, by the way, there will be a day where you will stand before me and I will be the judge. The tables will turn. The day is coming when the tables will turn. You're judging me now. I'll judge you down the road. That's a big, big, powerful statement from Jesus who is bound as a prisoner in their presence. That's a major, major statement. You can judge Jesus now. Just have, have the understanding you will stand before him one day where he is the judge. So judge right. Judge fairly. We will all stand before him. The book of Philippians says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord the wisest thing to do is to do that now, because it's too late then. Can you imagine? I mean, that's one element that makes hell, hell, okay? Yes, I know fire, brimstone, and all that fun stuff that pastors for many years have painted those pictures. That's not the worst part about hell. The worst part about hell is the fact that you just kneeled before Jesus, finally recognizing him as who he is, and forever you are separated from him. And you live with that reality for eternity, because hell is eternity. You can judge him now, judge rightly, judge fairly, but he is the judge who is coming back soon, and all will stand before him. That's a big deal. It's a powerful thing. That's something we need to, we need to be reminded of sometimes, because we always, you know, Jesus is my buddy. Yeah, okay, I get what you're saying. He's your buddy? Yeah, best friend. Okay, I, that's a little irre... You know, I, I don't know about... That's, he's God, okay? And he's coming back, and he's going to be a judge. And he's the best thing, and he's loving, and he's gracious, and he's compassionate, and he's merciful, and he's slow to anger. He is all of those things. He is peace. He is patience. He is hope. 
He is all of that, but he is also judge. We as Americans do not like that part. No, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell, no, I don't, nobody could judge me. Uh, well, I'm sorry, but the truth is people can judge you, and that's, you, sh- you should not be so concerned with people judging you. We should be concerned with, first and foremost, Jesus, and when we stand before him. Covered by his blood, I have no fear of that time at all. And you shouldn't either. You shouldn't either. Your works will be judged. What you do for him will be judged by the judge. So these are things that we need to keep fresh on our brains as we are here as Christians called to a mission to serve Christ. We will all stand before him. If you're a Christ follower, you'll get into this new heaven and new earth, and there's supposed to be some blessings and rewards on behalf, you know, for you that's been saved up in heaven. And I don't know what any of that means, and I don't know what it looks like. I wish I could elaborate more on you, more for you, but I just don't know. But I know I might have a small pile, maybe a small little box, and I'm like, what's that box? That's, well, that's your stuff. Okay, sweet. I got something. That's amazing. God, that's a miracle in and of itself. The fact that I'm in is always good enough for me. That's, if there's anything else, it's a bonus. And heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. But here is these religious leaders thinking they're judging him, and he just gives them a heads up. I will be judging you one day. I will be judging you one day. So yes, he does declare his deity here. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. It is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The three are one. Okay? He does declare that. If anybody tells you he never said he was God, by him claiming to be the Messiah, he is claiming to be God. Just so we understand that. There's some bad theology out there that we just need to have a heads up about, but this is who Jesus is. Jesus goes on to say, or actually the high priest goes on to say, it says he, he tore his clothing to show his horror and said, why do we need other witnesses? Well, you need other witnesses because you haven't proven anything. I'm sorry, I never went to law school, but I think we all know that. And if you just read the Old Testament, you understand that it takes two, at least two witnesses to verify something. And you can't pronounce this sentence on him right now, technically. But see, they're running out of time because the sun is about to start rising. And once the sun rises, see, Pilate's going to go out and he's going to settle all his cases early in the morning. And once he's done with that, he's not hearing any more cases. So if they want this done, they have to declare him guilty right now. And we will skip past anything in all rules and laws and regulations to declare him as guilty so we can be on Pilate's front door as soon as the sun rises. Because we can't miss this opportunity. This guy needs to die today. He needs to die today. What other evidence do we need? What other witnesses do we need? And in this tearing of his clothes, the high priest could technically do this when they would hear blasphemous things. But this is only a show. This is only a show. He's just putting on a show. Okay? That's all he's doing. He's trying to impress those who are around him. Verse 64, you have all heard his blasphemy, that's speaking against God. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried out. He didn't even need to ask. And they go on to say he deserves to die. 
This man deserves to die. They've already determined, predetermined how they were going to answer this. They all know we're here in the middle of the night to declare this guy as a person who is deserving of death. Now, Jewish law meant that if he committed blasphemy, then you take him outside the city limits, so to speak, and you stone him to death. But they can't kill anybody because Rome stepped in. And Rome's like, well, you don't, we're, you got to get, we're not going to just let you kill people, stone people. So now they got to partner with those whom they hate more than anything. And that's why technically, if he was blaspheming, which he was not, but if he was, he was supposed to be stoned to death. But they can't do anything. So that's why they got to declare him guilty. And then they're going to have to figure out some other charges to bring up against him. They're only justifying their reason for wanting him dead. But they're going to have to drum up some other charges to present to Pilate, who represents Rome. Because Pilate doesn't care that Jesus blasphemed God, quote unquote. He doesn't care about that. That's not good enough for him. But in their trial and in their verdict, he's guilty. Let's kill him. Verse 65, here's just the depravity of man. Some of them began to spit at him. And I'm sorry if you spit at somebody. I don't care how far you are into your walk with Jesus. Look, if you spit on me, we're fighting. That's just it, okay? Like, there is no, that's disgusting. There is no more degrading act in one sense. Like, I, I've been walking with Jesus for, you know, 20 plus years. But like, it's a short leash that he's got on me. Where I'm like, oh, did this happened to me? But it happened to Jesus. They spit at him. They spit in his face. They were spitting in his face. Ah, that just makes me mad. Then they blindfolded him. This is what's going on. These are the religious people. This is, these are not the Romans. These are not the, the pagan worshipers and those guys. These are religious people. And they're finding sport in humiliating Jesus, who has done nothing to them except expose them for the frauds that they are. And they blindfold them. And they beat him with their fist. And they're mocking him, prophesy to us. They jeered, who hit you? Who hit you? And they're slapping him. And they're punching him. And they're pulling out his beard. And they're just mocking him like animals. Like animals. Who's the criminal in this story? Is it not mankind? Is it not us? It is us. Because I'd like to put all the blame on these guys, but I'm just as guilty as them. The guards all slapped him as they took him away. Last little bit. This is the bookend. Remember, Peter showed up. And Peter is probably hearing, to a certain extent, maybe not the conversations, but he can hear the slapping. You know what it's like when you hear somebody get hit. You know that sound. And so maybe he's close enough to hear that going on. But as soon as Peter showed up in the courtyard, people began to ask questions about him. So now the scene shifts back over to Peter, verse 66. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. As this illegal trial is going on, one of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by. She's probably the one who opened the gate to let him in, came by and, and 
calls him out, basically, noticed him warming himself by the fire, she looked at him closely and said, you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. Of Nazareth is like a, that's a, they, they don't like people from Nazareth. Those are, you know, northerners. Those are country folk and all that good stuff, right? They're not as sophisticated as us Jerusalem people, right? So this is a demeaning term that she's ascribing to Jesus. And she's identifying Peter as like, you're one of his followers. You're one of his. Peter denied it. He denied it. I don't know what you're talking about. Other translations would say, I don't even know what you're saying. No hablo inglés. Like, I don't get what you're saying. Like, I don't know, you know, like, whatever. Like, you got me confused with somebody else. But she stayed persistent. Now, other gospel accounts lets us know that she kind of was, you know, other people were starting to pick up on this. And they began asking him as well. He's denying it. He said, and he went out to the entryway just in a rooster crowed, and, and Mark's letting us know that. It's not that Peter, Peter may not have even heard that rooster crow, but Mark is letting us know, Jesus told him, this rooster's going to crow. You're going to deny me, and, and the rooster will crow. You'll deny me this many times. Verse 69, the servant girl saw him standing there, and she began telling others, this man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. A little later, some other bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you're a Galilean. Your speech betrays you, your country. You've got that accent, that Galilean accent. We know who you are. You've got to be one of his guys. And this is it for Peter. When he could have been bold, he could have been bold right then and there. Been like, yes, I am one of his. Yes, I am one of his. Right? He, he ran away, but he got the courage to come back. Okay, cool, Peter. But then he's, he's asked about it. Are, are you in allegiance with this man? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. He won't even name Jesus. He won't even say Jesus' name. I don't even know that man. He won't even say Jesus' name. Won't even. And then more and more starting to notice, and they're like, you're a Galilean. And in verse 71, it says, Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. A curse on me. Now, in our modern day, we hear like he swore. We're thinking like those, you know, four-letter, four-letter flavorful words that spice up our conversations, right? Now, we're not talking about that stuff, okay? He, he calls down a curse upon himself. It's a calling of God as his witness and he pronounced the curse of death on himself at God's hand if his words were untrue. It's technically what just happened there. May God strike me dead if I am lying to you. Whoa, Peter, hold on, buddy. Like, <laughs> dude, that's, that's a little excessive, right? Like, you're, you are going a long way out of your way to disassociate yourself with Jesus. Peter, what happened to that courage? What happened to that boldness? Where'd it go? I mean, you ran away in the garden, but, but you're back. You, you're back. You're in the courtyard. I mean, he's just right up there getting beaten. And here's your opportunity. You're so bold when nobody's around. But yet when the enemy's around, you say nothing. You don't even acknowledge that you know him. Or are you just a closet Christian? Or do you live it out in the toughest of circumstances? This is a good lesson for me. For me. You want to know why? 
because I'm a pastor. And I get to stand before a group of people Sundays and Thursdays. I have a platform where it's very easy to proclaim Jesus. But is it happening out there? See, it's a dangerous ground. It's a hard thing for pastors. You may not assume this. You may think like you have this notion of pastors as these high and pious people that are like, they're just preaching the gospel everywhere they go. It's not that easy for, for anybody. Because pastors are just normal people. And it's easy to say it here. But what about when you're surrounded by people who don't agree with you? And they ask you, are you, are you a Christ follower? Are you a Christian? Uh, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know. Like, no, it's a yes or no question. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. The tension in our world is going to get tighter, so to speak. Where that's, you know, that may, that answer may not win you as many friends as it, as it once did. But are we still bold enough to say, no, yeah, that's me. That's who I am. That's who I am. This is the moment that changed Peter's life. He says, if I'm lying, I'm dying, right? Like, I don't even know this man. I don't know who you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. And again, I don't know technically if he heard that rooster cry. I know that, you know, movies will, will portray this as like, you know, that rooster's like right next to him and the rooster cries. Luke's gospel gives us a really interesting insight into this story. Because it wasn't the rooster that had the impact on Peter's life. It was the fact that at this very moment, at this very moment in the courtyard, this guy he's been following for three years walks right past him, turns and looks at him in the eyes. In that very moment, he called down a curse upon himself. So as he's saying, may God strike me dead if I'm lying, Jesus, the Messiah, God in flesh walks right past him and looks him in the eyes with not a look of judgment, with a look of compassion. Because it's his kindness that leads to repentance. He could have walked by him and gave him the eye roll, you know, like, oh, geez, okay, <laughs> Peter, bro, like, seriously. He didn't do that. As he's walking by, bruised, already bleeding, spit, running down his face, he turns and looks at Peter, who just flat out rejected him. And he looked at him with love and compassion, just like he does for you, just like he does for me. This is the Jesus we serve, the one who's headed for the cross. And even in our, our biggest failures, our biggest moments of disappointment, and all that good stuff, he knows how to look at you with eyes of compassion. And essentially what he's saying is, I'll see you in a few days. I'll see you, um, Peter, remember, I told you in the garden, I'll meet you in Galilee in three days. I'll see you in a few days. That look from Jesus is what forever changed Peter's life. Forever. Forever. Now, he did not live a perfect life. And you can read through the, the rest of the gospel accounts, specifically John's gospel account, where Peter's just like, I'm going back to fishing. I'm going back to fishing. Post-resurrection, post-encounter with Jesus, resurrected Jesus, he's like, I'm going back to fishing. And then Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I need you to take care of my sheep. I need you to tend to my lambs. I need you to feed my sheep. Forever 
forever on, Peter is absolutely 100% changed. And if you don't believe me, read 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And note the language he uses when he, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes those two letters. He is a different man. He is a different man. And I think you can all go back to this, this one moment in time where Jesus looked at him with compassion. Suddenly, Jesus' words flash through Peter's mind, is what the Bible says. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter broke down and he wept. And this is not remorse, this is repentance. This is not like, oh, I got busted. This is like, God help me. God help me. I'm going down a path that you told me I was going to go down that I do not want to go down. I do not want to go down this road, Lord. Help me to turn and go down this other. To make that turn, repentance is to turn from going this direction over to this direction. And that's what Peter is essentially what happens to him. Judas felt remorse. He felt sorry, but then he goes and he kills himself. There was no repentance. Peter was repentant. And there, man, just that look, that look. I hope you remember that look. I, I hope you, you, you've had that kind of encounter with Jesus. I remember, because that kind of is my story when I met and surrendered to Jesus. Because I, I finally, it dawned on me, like, I'm a sinner. Like, and if this Bible's true, from what I could tell, I didn't really, I had a little bit of church experience as a kid. And then when I had the choice, I was like, I don't want to go to church, okay? And then I end up in a church in Amarillo, the same one that brought me on as a youth pastor for like 14 years. But when I was all by myself reading the Bible, because I'm going to Bible college and I figure I should probably read this thing, and I don't even know Jesus, but I should read the Bible. But as I'm reading this thing, and it's telling me that, James, you're a sinner, and the the destination for you is hell. And I remember processing through that through my mind as I'm just flat out living in rebellion. And it was this, Jesus was in that room with me that very night and just with compassion. I was like, I don't want to go to hell. He's like, then don't, don't go to hell. Let me be your savior. And I said, I surrender. I'm all in. I'm all in. It wasn't Jesus dangling me over hell that changed my life. Now, that may be an encounter that somebody has had before and all that good stuff. That's not what won me over. What won me over was this gracious and compassionate man who died on the cross for all of my sins. And I couldn't, I couldn't calculate that. I was like, why would you do that for me? Because I love you. Because I love you. Even in the midst of my failings. Yeah. Even in the midst of my betrayal or my, my turning away from you. James, I love you. I'm all in for you. I died on the cross for you. Now I want you to be all in for me. Old James is done. Let's bring a new James to, to life and come and follow me. And I surrendered. But man, it was that with some example of Christians that actually like loved me and welcomed me in and all that good stuff. It was truly his kindness that led me to repentance. And he still to this day is doing the same thing in my own life. I hope and I pray that that's true for you as well. So if you have, if you have walked away from him, or if you found yourself in just a mess that you've created, so to speak, I, I pray that you would see him looking at you. Yes, he is the judge. But he also is a judge who knows how to look at his kids with compassion and say, come on, I'll meet you in a few days. 
Let's meet up in Galilee, because we got things to do. We got things to do. Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through the Gospel of Mark. This book is fast-paced. You'll notice as you keep studying with us that Jesus was on the move quite a lot. He did what needed to be done, and then he moved on to the next thing. Jesus packed a lot of service into his time here on earth, culminating in the greatest act of sacrifice ever, dying on the cross for everybody. If Jesus was consistently moving and serving, shouldn't we also be doing the same? Our faith doesn't say that we should just sit back and let others do the work. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus right here, right now. So go and do whatever it is that the Lord has gifted you with. Go share the good news of the gospel and then demonstrate it by how you love and serve people. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston and we would love to meet you. Visit breadforthebroken.com for more information. Would you like to do something for us? Would you pray for your fellow listeners? Pray that God would open their hearts and minds to His truth. Please pray for us too, that we would continue to follow Jesus' leading no matter where it takes us. If you feel like God is leading you to partner with us financially, all donations are greatly appreciated, no matter what the size is. You can give securely online at breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for coming alongside us in sharing the gospel message. That's all that we have for today. Join Pastor James next time for more here on Bread for the Broken. Let me... Paint the picture of you, man.